Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Dewan, and joining me this segment is Peter Fikowski, MIT-educated physicist and engineer and author of the book Climate Restoration. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Today, we're going to talk about the impacts of climate change on our mental health. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me this morning. Oh, Doug, thank you so much for having me. I, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, first of all, why don't you tell me a little bit about you and your background? Because I think it, it lends a lot of credibility to the things you're about to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I went to I studied uh, at MIT. I did, got my degree in astrophysics and came out here in 79. So I, I'm 68 now, if you want to do the calculation. And um, worked at NASA got bored, uh, went to an artificial intelligence lab and learned artificial intelligence. And I have a software business in semiconductor manufacturing because I learned how to do image analysis, which has nothing to do with the climate, <laughs> except, except that most people look at the climate, I, and I did myself for decades, and said, it's too complicated. Thank God they're experts worrying about the climate. Let me go about my business. And let me pray, well, I don't pray, but if I were to pray, let me pray that someone's going to take care of this for us or for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I spent, um, uh, in my spare time as a volunteer, I worked uh, uh, doing advocacy for hunger and poverty issues um, with a group called, an organization called results, uh, results.org, which is great if any, anyone wants to go make a difference for humanity. And um, we, uh, we were asked in the mid-80s by UNICEF to get funding to immunize the world's kids because they had made a promise in 77 to immunize all the world's kids by 1990. You have to remember, you know, go back to you know, the, the, that part of our history where Kennedy in 61 said, we're going to land a man on the moon in eight years. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! And then, uh, and so, you know, so people took things on like that, and UNICEF took on immunizing all of the world's kids, just because at the point, at that point, there were only eight percent North America and Europe. And then it faltered. The Reagan administration came, and people gave up on getting any funding for it, um, you know, because no one's going to make money immunizing the world's kids. And um, and we took it on. We said, sure, let go. We don't have anything better to do. Let's raise the money from Congress. And we did. We uh, The immunization rate went from 8% to 85 by 1990. It stayed up there ever since. You know, that transformed the world because ch children survive now. Mm -hmm. And then we, we, we were boldened, emboldened and worked with Muhammad Yunus in the 90s to bring microfinance, you know, uh, these sm small loans that just transform families' lives. Um and we said, let's get um, uh, half the world's population who are living in less than a dollar a day involved in microfinance and do it in 10 years. And it took 11 and a half. And we did it, though. And what we discovered, taking that audacious goal on, a half a billion people are involved in microfinance then, now and then. I'm sure it's more now. Um, 
uh, were not the problems we expected. It wasn't finance that was the problem or money availability. It was how do you find these people? And we had to build a whole infrastructure to find these people. We didn't expect that. So fast forward to 2010, and all this great progress on reducing poverty and hunger, which I was doing in my spare time, was flattening out. And it was clear that it was the climate. And uh, you know, I remembered back when I was an undergraduate in 1975, thinking, you know, reading about global warming and saying, well, someone's going to have to work on this. There's a trillion tons of CO2 that will need to be removed by the end of the century. Those chemical engineers are going to make a lot of money. And I'm a physicist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just so you know, for physicists, engineers are freaking brilliant, way smarter than we are. And so I said, I'll, I'll study astrophysics and let the really smart people do the engineering <laughs> and get out of their way. So 2010, I realized, well, I don't think they're succeeding on the climate. Let me look into it again. And as an MIT alum, I went to my buddies at MIT and said, hey, how's it going getting the excess, the excess CO2 back out of the atmosphere so our species can survive? And it was just crickets. It's like, what? We're not removing CO2. That's not our goal. We're just trying to reduce emissions. I said, but we passed the point of no return in 1988, you know, getting the CO2 level past 350, which is the highest level science says that we can expect anything like life as we know it to continue. They said, yeah, but the, we're not policymakers. <laughs> and the policymakers say reduce emissions. So we're finding out how ways to reduce emissions. And I, my mind was blown. And eventually I started the climate restoration movement. Uh, I, I had done a workshop in 2003 and I still have a mission statement on my wall that says, my mission in life is to leave a world we're proud of to our children. And I, my mind was blown, I gave up. And then a few weeks later, my daughter came back from college. I looked at my mission statement. I said, you know what? I would not be proud to give our children the climate that humans are have no evidence that we can survive in. So that sort of became my my life's mission uh, to restore the climate, and that's that's sort of it. Um, the thing I really want listeners to get is I gave up at the very beginning. I said we need people much smarter than me to work on this, and then that was in seventy five. Uh, you know, and then by 2015, you know, 40 years later, I realized, well, they're not working on it. I guess I'll work on it. Yeah. Um, so, so if you've given up already, join the club. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> so that, that therein lies the rub then Peter is that, uh, we look at this historical data of all these milestones that we've crossed and we did nothing. And then we went, okay, well, We've already passed it, so let's just continue not doing anything. And the mental health aspect of this is just borderline debilitating. Can you talk to me a little bit about how climate change is affecting our mental health? Well, I'm not a mental health expert, and I can tell you that it colors everything. You know, um, if you've ever been in a relationship and had a breakup, you notice that with, you know, it may be a sunny day, but it feels like it's overcast for days and days and days. Um, the climate, you know, our climate catastrophe 
puts that overcast feeling on our in our brains you know and every once in a while maybe you fall in love and you see the sun again and the blue sky but it it changes everything you know uh of course depression rates are high of course uh suicide rates are high of course marriage rates are down of course the number of people choosing to have children is down um uh but he, the, the thing I discovered for myself is that I had to get really depressed and say, oh, my gosh, we have blown it. We, you know, we passed the point of no return in 1988. And um, now what? And, the, you know, it, but I had to go through that before I said, OK, good. So let's say we, we, we've blown it. And, you know, Bill Gates's kids will probably be fine, you know, and, you know, maybe, you know, uh, other billionaires' kids will be fine, but we've blown it. Well, if, if we, if a miracle happened and we actually restored the climate, what would that look like? And we spent, I, I spent a while with my friends thinking about that. And we ended up saying, okay, okay, here's the scenario. It's 2050. And, and my book is about this. So you guys should uh, buy a copy of Climate Restoration, The Only Future That Will Sustain the Human Race by uh, myself, Peter Fikowski, and my co-author, Carol Douglas. Anyway, um, so it's 2050 and the climate's restored. How did we get here? What happened? And it's amazing. It's, an engine, it's how you do good engineering is you start with the product you want and figure out not how do we get there from here, you figure out how did we get there and, and then work backwards. And so it turns out that we, uh, the bottom line is the, the, uh, that nature has, we know how to get the CO2 out. We know how to restore the climate by 2050. And it's not a big deal. It, it's, we have the technology, we have the finance, we have the knowledge. Um, Everyone wants to restore the climate. And then you ask, oh, wait a minute. How come we're sitting here worrying, being depressed, committing suicide, and we know how to get out of this mess? And I think that's why you invited me on the little show here. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to stop and give it back to you now. <laughs> well, no, the, I'm bringing you on because I want to hear what you have to say. People have heard me talk enough. Um <laughs> So, so it sounds like, I mean, you look, you said it's not a big deal and you said it so cavalierly that honestly my ears perked up and I'm like, well, if you think that, cause I don't see that, give us hope. Um, what is the hope in the long run, uh, in reducing some of the anxiety we have that's weighing down our mental wellness? Give me a reason for optimism. Okay. That's exactly the thing is we have to create the, the well, so the first question is, what is a reason for optimism? And I looked at, I studied that. I, I love ontology, the study of being and linguistics and all that stuff. And so optimism, like I hope you're, well, while I'm talking here, you're thinking, hey, what is optimism? Mm -hmm. Optimism is living into a future that we want. Like you're going, like going on to, in a, on a date, preparing for a date. You have optimism that you're going to have a really great date. And you're living into that future. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't happen till the next week because someone got the flu or something. Mm -hmm. um, but you have that optimism, that, that future. And so what's missing is 
creating that future that we want. And that's the restoring the climate by 2050. But then you also have to have reason to think that you can get there. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of minutes. So why do we think that we can get there? Well, we again, this is astrophysicists speaking. We know we have to get a trillion tons, a thousand gigatons of CO2 back out of the atmosphere that we put in there with burning coal and oil and burning forests. And um, you say, okay, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that uh, you've heard of ice ages and you know that we've had a, a lot of ice ages. We've had 10 in a million years, 10 ice ages. Before each ice age, the nature removes a trillion tons of CO2, which ends up cooling the planet. So we know exactly how, well, not exactly, but we know how nature removed that trillion tons of CO2. And we can do the same thing if we want to. <laughs> That's why we're optimistic. It's like, oh, we, we, you know, it's been done. It's been done safely. Um, it, you know, nature does it over a period of, oh, 30,000, 50,000 years. We need to do it in 30 years, so a thousand times faster. Um, but we know how to do it. Nature does not have any engineers, project managers, physicists, any of that stuff. Nature just sort of throws spaghetti at the wall and sometimes the CO2 goes down. Well, we then know how to do it. in that aspect then, so we know how to do it. Uh, how yeah. How can I believe that we will do it because I feel like my whole life I've been told we know what the problem is. We know like there's a hole in the ozone layer. We can fix it, you know, and then you watch people do the exact opposite in a lot of these cases because it's not (laughs) financially viable to a giant corporation to save the planet when they could make a lot more money by continuing to destroy it. How do we get people on board with actually doing the work? Well, um, it's it's a bit more complicated than the ozone layer. Um, it's uh, because, um, well, I won't. It's too complicated to say why. It's, but um, the way the way nature gets the CO two out is uh, in the photosynthesis. You know, we all think of growing trees, but we all know that trees die and then they rot, and the carbon goes back into the air in a handful of decades. Um, but photosynthesis in the ocean, because in the ocean you have plants grow and animals eat them, but everything sinks down to the deep ocean and uh, where there's almost no oxygen and it doesn't rot, it doesn't burn. And that's how, and the way nature produces ice ages is it produces uh, a little bit extra uh, photosynthesis in the ocean, um, which pulls the CO2 out of the air and reduces the CO2, reduces the temperature and you get an ice age. And the way nature does it, uh, so it, nature wasn't really thinking about it, but uh, the most of the ocean is blue, which is pretty, but it's not green. And green is pho- where you get photosynthesis. And so you, the way you turn blue ocean green is adding the missing nutrient, um, which in most of the blue ocean, that missing nutrient is a minute amounts of iron. Mm. Um, just like you, know, you and I need iron, uh, if you have a, a garden and your plants turn yellow, your, your your gardener will say, oh, you need a little tiny bit of iron dust, of iron fertilizer to turn them green. And it works. It's amazing if, you, if you've ever needed to do it. In the ocean, it's the same. It's about a hundredth of a teaspoon per square meter. A hundredth of a teaspoon, like the few flecks of it per square meter um, once a year over just certain parts of the ocean. 
And they call, when they do that, um, they do it in in eddies. In, in you know, uh, an eddy is like a circular thing. When you pull the plug on your on a sink, you get an eddy that that circular thing. In the ocean, they're about a hundred miles in diameter, and they put the, the iron dust uh, not a lot because you don't need very much um, in the eddy. And within a day, it smells like a pasture. There's so much photosynthesis going on and the fish appear and the birds that eat the fish appear and the whales that eat the fish appear. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, anyway, so that, that's how we do it. Now, uh, the reason we're, it was tested 10 years ago and uh, the people who did it said it worked amazingly well. Uh, I checked out the fishery records from Alaska. It was done in the Gulf of Alaska. I checked the fishery records from Alaska and Canada and the salmon, the pink salmon catch skyrocketed like four or five, six times higher than the previous uh, several years. And which makes sense because that is fish food for fish. And if you feed the fish, then they, um, um, you know, then they grow. And, um, so, so the pro so uh, the fisheries actually are interested in doing it, but uh, what happened is the environmentalists said, "Now wait a minute." The UN said that we have to reduce emissions, and if you're going to get out, they, they pulled out. They said about a hundred million tons of CO two from that photosynthesis, um, and uh, and the environmentalists said, "Well, we're supposed to reduce emissions if you." lower the CO2 level, then we won't be able to pressure the oil companies to stop selling us oil. So um, so it became a big political thing. And the scientific community said, we don't want to be involved in politics, so let's just not do this anymore. <laughs> and so now we have to get over that. And so the, and the way through it is exactly the thing that you're talking about, Doug, which is creating that vision that, oh, we're going to restore the climate. And we know how to do it, and we're actually just going to do it. And once that happens, then everyone starts getting on board. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that that's our the big turnaround. This uh, last year, this year, and next year is going to be changing the the game on the climate. So instead of just climate action, whatever that means, it's we are restoring the climate to what it was before the you know, pre-industrial climate what it was before we started pouring uh co uh emissions into it yeah and so i mean the scientific community doesn't want to get involved in politics you really can't get yeah. around that uh that really is how things have to get done everything's political in in one way or, or another um so let's talk about the politics of things especially uh you go back to the mental health side just me listening to you talk about solutions honestly kind of calms me down a little bit oh it's there we just have to enact them and uh yeah. there there's actually uh legislation from uh senator markey uh the community mental wellness and resilience act can you tell me about what that is do they just have you come and talk to people on an individual basis uh, or or uh or what's going on there to make sure that we are mentally capable of handling the world in front of us well, I, I don't know about that act because um, my, my, my thing is the climate restoration movement. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, I, I talk to uh, more and more hundreds of people. And when people get clear about that future, they say, okay, 
you know, I'm in for making sure that we restore the climate by 2050, getting CO2 below 300 by 2050. When people say that and start, you know, uh, taking action and, uh, they get really excited because now they have a future that lights them up. It's like, like going on a date. You don't know if the date's going to work this time or next week, but you're going on a date. And uh, the same thing here is get involved. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about it in preparation for our talk and I realized one of the ways that people discover that they're committed is by committing. And so, like, if you're going on a date, you make a reservation at the restaurant, and now you know you're committed. Um, with climate restoration, what you can do is, uh, you know, uh, you know, give money to the only organization right now uh, doing it is the Foundation for Climate Restoration, uh, which I have to admit that I founded many, many years ago, about uh, six years ago, um, although I'm not personally uh, a part of the administration of it. But you know, I urge people to you know, go to their website and you know, commit to giving whatever amount of money that, that uh, lights your, your heart up. And not so much, I mean, they need the money. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they're short on cash, but that's not the point. The real point is when you take that action and when you see on your, on your credit card bill the 10 or $100 or $1,000 a month, depending on if you're a, yeah. <laughs> a, a millionaire or not, um, uh, but a significant amount, then you'll re that, that will remind you that you're committed to restoring the climate and you will be happy. I, I can tell you um, it works. Yeah. Every time I've given money to a charity, I do. There's a little bit of like, uh, hey, I, I feel good about myself or I donate my time to that charity. Um, it, it definitely changes the mental aspect of things because you feel like you're you're making a difference. And uh, I, I think it also colors your future decisions once you've committed into a thing. Like if you're if you're putting money into something, you tend to change your behaviors to stop being a detriment towards it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, my daughter convinced me to put solar panels up oh, 14 years ago when they were quite expensive and mm -hmm. inefficient. And I thought, well, what the hell? I'll just do it. And you know, it was after that that I got involved in the climate You know, because I had the solar panels up on the roof and they reminded me of my commitment. And I started checking my electric bill and all those things. Um, so again, it, it, re it reminds you of that invented future that wasn't already going to happen. The thing that to remember is our brain will always catastrophize. We, our brain will always think about what's the terrible thing that's going to happen. I've done lots of transformational work. I thought I would cure myself, but no, my brain always goes there. So you need to have a structure that will bring you back to the future that you want which is different than the future that you're fearing. And so in climate, you know, if you read the news, and I imagine most of you and most of your listeners read the news, all you hear is all the horrible things, the floods and the hurricanes and the droughts and so on. Um, and what you're left with, your brain is left with the default future. Like, oh my God, it's all going to hell. And... Um, then again, if you set up a recurring donation, I don't mean to be promoting the money side of it, but the the op the, the mental health side, that donation 
reminds your brain that you're committed to this other future. And now you'll picture that future where our, our climate is restored by 20, 2050. Yeah. And, and there's, there's honestly, like, there's not a lot of uh, media on the euphoric, you know, uh, amazing future that we could all have. It's all dystopian and apocalyptic. So anything that we can do to kind of push our thinking into the realm of a positive future, especially one when it comes to the planet, I think is is honestly a really great idea. Now, Peter, I want to hear about your book, Climate Restoration. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is restoration? Why are we restoring? As I feel like a lot of uh, work is going into treating symptoms. You're talking about actual restoration. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, when it comes to mental health, to action, to you know, uh, make get making things happen, um, you've got to have a goal. Yeah, you know, so you're in Seattle, I'm in Silicon Valley. You know, if you and I are thinking about going to New York, um, we we might just head east. Well, what's the chance that we'll make it to New York at the same time and go to a show together? Almost none. But but we'll be heading east. Um, now, on the other hand, if you and I say, okay, let's let's go to a show on Broadway on April fourth. Now it's almost guaranteed we'll do it because we know how to. We'll figure out how to do that. And so climate restoration says, okay, we're going to restore CO two to levels that humans have actually survived. So it's a guaranteed level that you know humans have survived, and for every reason to think we'll, we'll survive in the future, and we'll do that by 2050. And by setting a specific goal that no one's going to debate, and no one does debate it. Um, then everyone aligns on it and our actions um, uh, get get consistent with producing that result. Um, you know, up till now, the climate discussion has been primarily political. You know, back in the Reagan years, um, before the Reagan years, we were actually working, you know, the oil companies were starting solar farms and starting wind farms and all this stuff. They were starting solar farms, solar technology back then, but they were all investing in it. And then, um, then for whatever reason, the Republicans decided that they, you know, they would turn that into a culture war. And Reagan said, Reagan took the um, solar panels off the, um, the White House and, um, you know, and became a culture war. And so now climate became a culture war and there was no physics involved. You know, we got to get the CO2 back out. Anyway, so by making a specific goal, we now get back into action on, in the physical world rather than the political world. Did yeah. that answer your question? I think so. So uh, before I let you go, tell, tell people how, could, how they can learn more. Uh, what's something uh, uh, people could do yeah. on, you know, right now that would make themselves feel better and then uh, where can they find the book yeah so uh what i recommend is go to the foundation for climate restoration you can either spell it out or do the letter f and number four cr.org uh foundation for climate restoration.org uh look up the information sign up for their newsletter um and i recommend you know, uh, give a donation every month of just any amount that will inspire you and then go to uh, my website, peterfikowski.com, and you can order the book um, <clears throat> and, um, and also get a, a lot more information. I, I'm uh, a, um, a bit farther 
advanced and the foundation is the foundation tries to stay conservative and not not uh ruffle any feathers <laughs> and I'm, I'm more audacious yeah you're more in the the feather ruffling but you know what that's how things get done so i i appreciate you i appreciate your time thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation this morning oh you thank you thank thank you and listeners thank you all so much i i can't wait to see what each of you is going to do Yes. And uh, thank you for listening. Conversations is a public affairs program at this station.